Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now here's your host, Marianne Dersch. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Influential Nonprofit. I'm your host, of course, I'm Marianne Dersch. I work with nonprofit leaders to be the most influential leader they can be so they can maximize their resources and supercharge their fundraising and just make everything, every relationship you have more successful when you're influential. And I am very excited today because this is the subject that's near and dear to me. I'm with Eric Ressler. Did I say that right, Eric? I did, yeah. asked you that before we start. Okay. And you're a founder and creative director at Cosmic, a social impact creative agency. And we're going to talk about branding and digital presence and all those things that I love because I did that for 16 years and still, you know, and still kind of play in that space a little bit. Um, So welcome to the Influential Nonprofit. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So before we get into that, I always start with the same question, which is tell me something you're proud of that you don't get to brag about a lot. Oh my gosh. I love these kind of questions. So I recently, I, I love photography. I love a lot of creative things. I can go into music too, but I'm going to go with photography. So I recently, and this is such a like trendy thing. I'm sl- slightly embarrassed to share it, but I'm excited about it. So I'm going there. I have not- Shame, embrace, embrace <laughs> yeah. the joy. I've fallen in love with photography again for like the fifth time recently, but through the lens of, of film photography, which is logistically the stupidest thing you could do compared to like what you can do with digital these days but the joy of shooting film is like so intangibly awesome that has completely changed my relationship with making photos in such a better way and so i'm really proud of just the work i've been doing there putting stuff out and like publishing which is always really hard especially for like personal creative work for me um so that's that's the first thing that comes to mind i love it uh and where did where does this do you, like can we see this part to sit up here yeah so the publishing point, yeah, eWrestler.com. Um, and it, it is largely subscriber-based, mostly because I post a lot of photos of my family, so I don't want like just the whole internet to sure. just have access to that. But it's free to subscribe. There's some photos you can see that are just like more like architectural or landscape that are, you know, all access. Um, you know, set the bar low. It's not amazing, but I love doing it. So maybe set it maybe medium. I've been cheating for a lot of time. Yeah. Right now, just in case, you know. Okay, one of the things I think is really interesting, and I work a lot with this concept of polarity. So we think in like, you know, okay, so we think in black, white, mean, nice, right? Am I am I confident or insecure? But in this case, I was thinking as you were speaking about the polarity of like digital and film, because what because after a while, like, do I do this or this? But any polarity will stretch, and then once it stretches, it collapses on itself. Like that's why you know. The people you love the most can make you the maddest, right? Like, so I was thinking of the polarity of your creativity of like, oh, you're going to stretch this medium. You know what I mean? Like, and then it informs other work that you do, right? It, like, and it doesn't just have to be, oh, I do this or that, or like, it's so crazy. I, I think that's really cool to kind of, you know, and everything comes back around again, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like the work that I do professionally with clients is so digitally driven. Yeah, Uh, that, you know, it's almost like the analog photography is kind of like a foil to that work. And that is what I love about it is that it is so slow and inconvenient, but (laughs) in a really cool way (laughs) and expensive. Let's add expensive to that because film is expensive. But 
um, you're so much more in the moment when you shoot, at least I am when I shoot film, because I'm not taking a picture and immediately looking at, did I like it? Should I take three more? Should I take 10 more? And then I have 300 pictures from an afternoon walk that I do nothing with. Instead, I've got 36 shots that I shoot over, you know, a couple yeah. weeks. I send it off to the lab and I get a present back. And some of them don't turn out that I think will. And some of them do turn out that I thought wouldn't. And it's just this like magical experience that yeah. anyone who grew up shooting film is probably like, this guy's just, you know, whatever, like a digital native. And of course, that's the most awesome thing. And it you know, is. Yeah. Film and both for are practice. awesome. It's, 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 yeah. it's, a, it's not a, it's not a, but it's an and, right? Yeah. Like both can be awesome. And I, you know, mullets are back. Film is back, right? It all comes back. It's <laughs> like, I'm a lady of a certain age. So I did have a certain haircut at a certain time in the 80s. We'll talk, we won't talk about that, but okay. So one thing I want to start with, because this is super important to me. You refer to the people that you serve or the, or the organizations that you serve as social impact organizations. Yeah. And you don't really use the word nonprofit. I hate the word nonprofit. So tell me why you use this language. And I know not everybody you work with is a nonprofit, but most of them, yeah. right? A lot of them are. So I think this comes, you know, it's a strategic choice. Um, we're really trying to kind of describe a sector more than an organization. Like another way I like to say this is like, I don't really care how you file your taxes as long right. as your impact is authentic. And, you know, there are like, you know, deeper implications of being a 501c3 or c4 or whatever but let's not get into that like the way that i think about it is that we want to attract and help organizations that exist to move humanity forward in one way or another and when we were really thinking about how to describe that purpose was the big new buzzword it still is to some degree but it's really not the right word for the work that we're doing even though the work that we do is extremely purposeful the work that our clients do is extremely purposeful. It's not just purpose. It's like purpose for what and for whom. And I think that at the end of the day, what we're looking at is we want to support and supercharge organizations that exist to solve societal issues. And they are often nonprofits, but they're not always nonprofits. They might be structured as a business or a philanthropy LLC. They might be a funder. They might be a government organization. They might be an educational institution. So we didn't feel like describing the nonprofit sector as our sector was appropriate for the vision that we had for the types of organizations we're trying to attract and work with. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, so for me, because I work, you know, when I talk about influence and all like I work in language is so important, right? Our thoughts shape our words, our words shape our reality. And I realized, you know, like the word non, we're describing ourselves by what we're not or what we're lacking. Like, who the hell cares? Like, like how you file your taxes? Like, what kind of difference are you making in the world? And in our culture that very much values the health of a business by the profit it makes, you know, and we're not all or not. And then it makes us feel less than, right? And so, oh, we're not on the same plate because, okay, I'll give you an example. This is something that just gets under me just a little bit. And I know it comes from a really good place. There's this company and they do like a, a day where they have companies come and then the nonprofits come and then the companies like advise the nonprofit. And I'm thinking, okay, so there's an assumption that because I'm a for-profit business, I know more than the nonprofit, right. you know, and I said, it all comes from a good place. People do this extra. They have a really good day. Like, what if we like did it joint? 
right? Like, isn't there something that as an, like, because they're just business models, you know, like one is it anyway, that's just. What if we just flipped the resources instead and gave the nonprofits the same amount of money that for-profit companies had? Right. That would be a more interesting day, in my opinion, because I think that's really, right, just to kind of play up your perspective on this. There is this weird double standard with nonprofit organizations where, and it's driven, I think it's very intractable at this point, even like the name nonprofit, as you mentioned, kind of is a representation of this deeper issue, yes. which is that we, we hold nonprofit organizations and for-profit organizations to two completely different standards of, yes. of behavior. And Dan Paletta has talked about this, like ad nauseum yeah. is like the yeah. champion of this and he's amazing. But I think we don't, as a general culture, even if you're not in the sector, if you're a donor or a supporter or someone out of the sector, there is this double standard that's just built into our, our culture around like, well, like how dare an organization doing good actually make money? Like, right. what? What is that? Right. Or, we, or like, how dare an organization that's doing good, like, and like, because yeah. that's considered wasting money. It took Amazon seven years to turn a profit, right? Like, right. like you, you get a long leash. My husband runs a biotech startup. You know, they've invested $6 million in this an organization and they have years, right, to figure this. And don't ask me what it is, like, trust me, but like years to figure it out. Like, okay, that's a whole different standard than here's your $20,000, you know, and I want a full accounting of, you know, where right. every, you know, penny was spent. Yeah. And I mean, you just look at the waste in tech. And I mean, you can look at it in two different ways, but like, there's a cyber truck that exists like just as a case study like did we need that no do you know who's that for not to pick on elon musk although i'm perfectly happy to do that if you'd like to go there but i think you know so there's all this there's so much waste you can call it waste or you can call it experimentation or research and development but ideas fail so often in the private sector and everyone's just like cost doing business you know and you know the market will reward those who succeed great but then if there's any amount of waste or overhead or failed experimentation in the social impact sector, it's this like, oh, no. I mean, I think there is some sometimes, maybe even often, there are lives at stake or people's humanity at stake for failures in the social impact sector. So they're not quite comparable in that way. But I mean, we published an article about, uh, I think we called it like indefensive moonshots for social impact. Like there's so much fear of failure lack of experimentation in the sector there's exceptions to this rule but let's just say like that's the general attitude and culture in the sector and i think it's a mistake and i think we need to embrace failure and learn from failure as a sector and not like sweep those things under the rug when they don't work but publish them and say hey we tried this here's why we tried it here's why we thought it had potential turns out it didn't work for these reasons let's like all learn from this experience together or maybe if we had tweak this this way, it would have been more successful. That's what we're going to try next. But, you know, it's intractable. It's rooted in how investment happens in the sector too. Funders don't want to, you know, invest in things that aren't proven, but things need to be experimented with. Right. To be so proven we, in the first right. Place. It has to be proven. Yes. And I think that also is like the ability to have those honest, transparent conversations with people around, hey, this is what we're doing, you know? And, as you know, what is, as Jalen Hurts said after the Super Bowl in February, you either win or you learn. <laughs> right. And you can do both. And, and I think that's both, right. right. It, it, and, and, and so we've been, and, and you're right, the lack of investment and the lack of just bold movement, you know, it keeps you small and it keeps you kind of 
in you know in struggle in like sort of in constant like just in survival mode instead of like yeah. really tackling things all right so we can go on i hear and also let's talk about the because i really want to talk about this in the light of branding um messaging and the nonprofits in the digital space or social impact organizations in the digital space all right first i want to ask you i'll just say what's the biggest thing people aren't getting or aren't doing right or could get better at i'll say it with so we have this framing or this point of view on the sector that is rooted in this concept called the attention economy which maybe you've heard maybe you haven't um the listener you haven't heard it i'll just like briefly define it so essentially because of the digital era that we're in and the power and the connectivity of the internet we don't have an information scarcity anymore. We used to before the internet and before some of these modern technologies, like think about even like the printing press back in the day, information was very siloed and scarce. Now information is free and flowing and actually overwhelming us. There's too much information. So information is no longer at a premium. What's now at a premium is attention. So getting people's attention in the first place is becoming more and more difficult. If you think about how AI will and already is affecting the noisiness of our channels, this is a problem that is only growing kind of by the day and by the minute. And so if you understand that whether you're a social impact organization or you're Pepsi or you're Apple or you're Nike, you are playing in a new economy that's the attention economy where our attention is being bought and sold by large corporations. And you don't get to opt out of this just because you're doing good. You have to understand that this is the game that we're all playing today. And it's happening largely through digital channels, but those are seeping into our real world experiences because our attention is finite. There's only so much attention any given person has in any given day. And we're choosing to spend a lot of that attention digitally these days and how we communicate, how we're doing this podcast even. And so as a social impact leader or a social impact organization, your mandate now is to learn how to play and win in the attention economy. And that is kind of the trunk of the tree that all the rest of our work branches off of that perspective. And so, in my opinion, the biggest mistake people make is not framing their strategies from that perspective, because if you aren't, or you're doing it kind of more intuitively, you're not really leveraging the power of that understanding. Because once you start to think about things that way, it helps influence your decision-making around, okay, yeah, we do need to be a brand to play in the attention economy and to win in the attention economy. We do need to have a very strong digital presence. We need to essentially start to think and act like a digital media company and not a charity. So that means we're going to invest resources here instead of here. That means we're going to build team capacity here instead of here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that at a high level is the biggest mistake that I think people make. And okay, in the attention, you know, getting the attention of people, what it, why is it important to have a brand to do that? So a brand essentially creates meaning for the work that you're doing. And it's a symbol of the relationship that you have with your supporters. And a lot of times people think about a brand like a logo and some colors, and, and those things are part of a brand that, you know, technically that would be your visual identity. And then that shows up in your, you know, your communications and your, your collateral, which would be your essentially your brand expression or your brand extension. But a, a bigger picture way to think about brand, um, the way that I think about it is that it is the promise that you make to your supporters and whether or not that promise is kept. So everything that you do, every action that you take, every piece of communication that you put out is either strengthening your brand promise or it's muddying your brand promise. And so it, 
if you think about a brand at that bigger perspective, like, you know, you have a brand, whether or not you think you do. And the more uh, that you can dial in that brand from a, with a big B brand. And that, so to me, that means, yes, your visual identity, but how you frame your impact story, how you even describe the category in which your organization plays within so, or your niche within the like larger social impact ecosystem, that foundational kind of brand building work is either going to kind of supercharge everything else that you do or hold back everything else that you do. So it's really foundational in that way. It also influences your internal culture. So like, who are you going to hire? Where are you going to invest time and resources? Having a strong understanding of who your brand is and what it promises and the focus of your organization is going to be critical in making all the right choices there too. So a lot of times people think about branding as an external asset, but it's also equally important in terms of building your internal culture and uh, influencing and being influenced by your overall uh, strategic plan for the organization. Yeah. Ooh, or, okay. I have so many things that are coming through right now. Yes, yes, yes. And okay. First is I love brand promise, right? How do I make people feel, right? How does our, right? What is the promise I make to everyone who interacts with me? And one of my biggest clients is the sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet and the our words became, you know, bold, fearless, fun. That's the sisters are bold, they're fearless, they're fun. And we wanted that. That wasn't coming through, right? And it wasn't coming through in, and they were like, okay, let's adjust it. And also it takes courage to do that um, because some of the boldness that they wanted to communicate, maybe not everybody was going to be happy with that, you know? And, and so they were like, oh, do we really want to share that? But what if it makes people mad? And, you know, and like, so that, but that it's so important about that internal culture because you can't in my this is my experience if you gave somebody just hey i'm going to work with you and give you this really like really cool brand and like and they're afraid of it and makes them uncomfortable it's not going to work and so what i learned along the way because i've been doing this for a really long time is in order to communicate effectively externally first we have to communicate effectively internally and what that means that each person individual person right steps into a higher version of leadership over themselves, right? And how up into how how our thoughts and feelings affect our everyday decision making, right? Becoming a more conscious leader of ourselves, that translates to culture. Now from that place, what could we create? You know, because right, because the bullshit was fun. That just didn't come. That came from months of working with this team to to be able to receive criticism. And understand that, you know what, if you're saying something interesting, somebody's not going to like it. But we've been taught, again, that double standard, oh, you can't make anybody mad, right? And again, I think that affects the branding. Oh, we want to be, you know, loved by everyone. That's, look, you got your people. And and so, and one of the biggest things that I that I work with people on is, and and this is like something, a belief that I have is I really can't, my job is not to make people care. I can't really make you care. Because Eric, why you care about something? And why are like, but what I, the marketing or the branding is designed to connect with the like-minded people. It's like a, right. Instead of trying to make somebody different, it's more like a, like a lighthouse or a beacon, you know, Hey, if, if, if you see yourself and if you care about this, we do too, let's work together, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that, um, there's so much to, we can go off so many threads here, but the first one I'll start with is 
this idea of like the concept of boldness, right? And this kind of really comes back even to the initial concept of the attention economy. If you, again, see things through that lens, of course you want to be bold. Now, what does bold mean? What level of bold is appropriate? Are you, are you going to be kind of like a challenger brand or um, something that is like very, you know, um, speaking truth to power as a brand? Or does bold in your niche mean you're going to, you know, do things in a different way or your approach is bold or your language is bold? I mean, there's so many ways you can go that way. But I think if you look at it, like we need to find a way to stand out and to attract people who believe in what we do and see things from the same point of view that we see things from that's you know it really leads to that but you do have to live it right and you do have to accept that you may lose some supporters who don't see that that same path that you do but if you're strong you will gain twice as many the right ones yeah and that's the that's the fear coming in again and it's a leap of faith sometimes, and I understand why it happens, and we've navigated this with our own work many times. So it's, mm-hmm. it's totally, I have empathy for why people are afraid to make those leaps sometimes, but it very rarely backfires is what I'll say. Like I have never, we've done, you know, hundreds yes. of brands over the last yes. 15 years. I have never once seen a brand fail because they went too bold. I have seen exactly. any brands fail because they were too watered down, Right. Um, but I've never seen a brand well, I, and I've also seen a brand where the team that we worked with went bold, the brand got approved, everything went accordingly, but the organization didn't live the values of the new brand. That's right. And didn't ex- it didn't get fully saturated or integrated into how they show I up, used, think, and act. I use the word embodied, right? Yeah, like embodied is part, of, part yeah. of the culture. It's, it's how we, it's like a breath. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's how natural it feels. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I want you to give me an example, but I'll share an example really quick. This was not my client or I had anything to do with this project. Like uh, it goes like 2018 or 2019 because I put it in my book. And um, the APA here, our local uh, Animal Protective Association, did a grown ass adult dog campaign. And it was all the reason, why, but it was a grown ass adult, right? They won't chew your stuff, they don't pee. And they, they held this big event on National Puppy Day. And it got so much attention. And now, you know that Sarah Javier that runs this is sitting in a boardroom with people. Are, there, are you sure you want to say ass? But that's what made it funny. Yeah. And she's like, I got two phone calls. I got two phone and then the and this campaign, like people from first of all, they raised a lot of money. They adopted a lot of dogs, which was, that was the whole point. And there was people all over the country like wanting to connect with her because it was it was an attention grabber. Yeah. You know? And it was like also on National Puppy Day, just to give it just the next level. But it was all about why you should adopt adult dogs instead of puppies. And it was totally hilarious. And, and then somebody had to say, yeah, let's just do it. And and again, very like, like she got like two phone calls, you know, and they're like, yeah. I don't really like that. I'm like, okay. But it was easily explained away. Like, so I know you don't like that word, but what do you really want to have happen? I want dogs adopted. Like we just got all these dogs adopted. Right, so, right. you know, yeah, where's that, where's that limit, right? And there are boundaries, and I think it's about like how far can you push before it starts to stray from your core values as an yeah. organization, right? Like you don't want to be bold just for the sake of being bold or do things just, you know, like you don't want it to be a, a, a car accident situation where people just have to look because it's awful, right? That's too far. Right. So, and, and the, the, bar- the boundary will be different for every organization. But yeah, this is a perfect example of where 
there was probably so much fear around all the things that could go wrong and what actually went wrong, two phone calls and 10x the impact of a boring campaign, exactly. right? So I think like that, that's the way I, I hope that more people can start to embrace that approach and that mindset, but the sector has been trained against it. So we're working against this deeply seated cultural aversion to boldness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I do what I do. Because a lot of people, you know, I just feel like if we really want to change how the world works, this is right. Like you got to get out there. <laughs> we don't have to, we don't have time to be boring. We're so out of time. Do, you, do you have, like, I would love to hear an example of the, of somebody that you worked with or a campaign. Yeah. I have like an interesting example that comes to mind where being bold was actually being not in the way that you would think about it. So we did a, a climate action campaign for an organization called Let's Green California. We helped name the campaign. And we were bold in an interesting way because so many climate action campaigns are very bold and very negative, right? They're very focused on doom and gloom, missing, you know, targets, uh, all the pain and suffering, you know, basically like just looking at this, like really identifying the problem and the negative outcomes of inaction. But what we found is that, you know, this is, I think, starting to become more part of the conversation is that if all we do is focus on how we're failing, we're actually influencing a behavior of apathy instead of action. So the way that we were bold with this campaign was to say, let's create a climate action campaign that's focused on hope and like the nostalgic good feelings of California from the 70s and the 60s. And that was our brand strategy for the rebrand and the campaign and, and it led to how we kind of rolled the campaign out and built out the digital experience and all of that. So it was bold in that it was different. It was a different way to run a climate action campaign where there was some education around the, you know, the challenges and, and the barriers and the negative outcomes, but it was so much more focused on the opportunity and the progress and what's been happening because people want to support progress. They don't want to support problems. Like they, they want to see yeah. that, you know, you have to identify the problem. Yes. But if all you do is focus on the problem and you don't have a solution or a way that you can show a pathway for a supporter to be part of that solution, then people are going to look and be like, well, that's unfortunate. Back to my newsfeed, right? Like, what right. are you going to do with that? Right. So I think that's where a lot of climate action and, you know, there's a, there's a place for activism and climate action. We do need to just, you know, scientists need to say, we're missing the mark here. But if you're trying to actually create change, especially from like a grassroots standpoint, you need to activate people and people are not activated by doom and gloom. Right. I love what you said. People invest in progress, run out of problem, right? And people invest because my friend Amy Fazio says people come for the cause, but they stay for the community. Right. right. They see themselves and their values reflected. And that that's what they're investing in. And the difference is it's not because of you, it's through you. So I have a value for like how I want to see the world or experience California. And I and I, so I'm investing it's through you that I get to realize my ideals, not because of which which is a, like again, a, a that's a one word, but it's a big shift in thinking. Right. And so I want to talk maybe a little more tactically for the last few minutes that we have around like, you know, website, digital, like I really have been focused more on video. I think in the attention economy and, you know, with what nonprofits our social impact organizations have to work with, what could we be doing better? Like right now, like what, like if I just, you know, got off this 
stop listening to this podcast and turn to my computer. What can I do better right now? So, I mean, there's always a bit of a balancing act here because there are times to make transformational changes as an organization, and there are times to make iterative improvements as an organization. And that's going to be very context specific. So if you're at an organization and you're up uh, about to do a new three-year strategic plan or whatever your process is for that, maybe it's time to think more transformationally and, and take some of these ideals and think about how they might transform your behaviors and your thought process and where you invest as an organization, even if that investment becomes larger than it has been. And then there's going to be times where your budget is set. You don't have those opportunities. And so you need to look at what are some smaller things that I can do. So the bigger thing that we think about is we want to see social impact organizations think and act more like digital media companies and less like charities. So publishing content that is authentic, that is inspiring, that is engaging, that is informative. And what is the right format for that these days? Video is awesome. If you can do video and everyone can do video now, if you have a computer, it's mm-hmm. been, it's easier than it's ever been before. It does not need to be a high production value brand video every time, although there's a time and a place for that. I think it's really identifying like what are the key messages that you're trying to get out to your community? Where is your community and how can you develop a content strategy and a format to get those messages out? Now, ideally, your your house is in order before you do all of that. You have a solid brand. You have a solid brand strategy. You have a clear understanding of who your audiences are. You have a clear understanding of how you would like to frame your impact story in a way that you know resonates with people. All that foundational work is important. You have a a website that is not just digital brochure, but an actual like operational asset for fundraising or educating people or getting people involved in whatever way. You're not always going to have all of that. I mean, we that's really where we largely help clients is getting them set up with that strong foundation because if the foundation is strong, then everything else that you do is going to have a bigger impact. But you don't always have that luxury. So if you don't, you can still make a lot of progress just by getting the right messages out to the right people in a way that's informative and inspiring. And I think video is a really good way to do that, but it's not the only way. And I yeah. think there's still a time and a place for writing. There's still you know a time and a place for audio only as well. And I think you're going to have to just look at where are our audience hanging out? Is it through social? Is it through email? Through a combination of those two things? like pick a couple channels and do them really well. Like you don't need to be everywhere. And so I think that we'd rather see people like really nail consistently a couple key channels and do those really well than say, okay, we're going to do like one email a month. That's our monthly newsletter. And then we're going to publish, you know, an impact story every couple months as well. Like that's just not going to cut it. You have to have a more compelling and engaging ongoing publication schedule of your content and think about it as a relationship, not just like a one-way. Right. I'm just pushing out. Right. And also, like, I think there's more value-driven content instead of, oh, we're so amazing. It's it's more like inspirational, insightful. And there's like some thought, like there's some, you know, thought leadership involved in it where, you know, hey, you're saying important things about, you know, whatever industry or cause or you're working in. Like, you know, instead of this is one of the things that and so somebody tells a great story and you're like, hey, you're you're going to turn that phone on and capture that story. Right. The first time. Oh, like, oh, let me get back with you. And then you're going to write like, like there's a lot of stuff that's just happening around you. That's really good content. 
when you start to attune yourself to it, all of a sudden it's just appearing. And I yeah. think there's so there's so many hidden good stories within these organizations that no one knows about except for the people that they impacted or the people who were part of that impact. So getting those stories out, distributing them, publishing them in whatever way you can is super critical. So I would say there's like three key types of content that you should focus on and not necessarily in this order. But the first would be stories of impact because that is the proof in the pudding, right? Like if, right. And this is like amazing how many organizations don't really do a good job here because if you think about, especially if you're driven by smaller donors, but even if you're largely foundation funded or whatever, like people want to know that you're doing good in the world. Like that's the whole point, right? But it's amazing how many people don't actually do it. Like they do all the hard work, like doing the good work, figuring out what the problems are, actually helping people, but then they don't tell anyone that that's happening. And so, and it, including their donors, or if they do, they're not doing it as fully as they could or should be. So that's one, yeah. you know, uh, stories of impact would be one category. Another would be content that's educational because a lot of times supporters really care about your issue, but they're not leading experts on your issue area because of course they're not. If they were, they'd be working at your organization, not supporting it through donations. Right. And so you have an opportunity to give people the latest and greatest updates, whether that's opportunities or challenges or setbacks or whatever around where your sector is going or where your issue area or your focus area is going. What's new there? If I care about whatever topic, I'm looking to you as an authority on what's the latest and greatest happening there, which can be a conduit to activating people um, or inspiring people and often is. And that's the third main topic is like content that activates or inspires, whether it's something that you're doing or something that someone else is doing to basically say, there is a path for you to get involved and to take action on these issues. So if you think about your content in those three buckets, I think that'll set you up to be generally in a really good position. I love it. I think in that second bucket, we realize we are experts. You know, yeah. if you work with seniors, you're experts in the senior care. And if you work with, you know, Foster Adoptive Care Coalition, you're, you're experts in, you know, helping kids navigate trauma, right? Like there's all kinds of like, you know, animal organizations. There's all kinds of things that you're experts at and you can share some really cool information with people. I think that's that that second piece, the education one, is the one that has the most potential, I think, you know? I think it's the one that that is least often utilized. Yeah. I, I, I can think of a couple organizations that do it really well, but I think that it's one that I think it maybe comes from is like, of course, this is happening. Everyone knows that. It's like, no, you no, know it because you do this every right, day. Because you do but it. Everyone does it. Yeah. Yeah. Or that information could be helpful to people. You know, if you work with people who are unhoused and like, what do I do when someone asks me for money? Like, that's a question that people have that you could answer. Right. And then you're right. And then you're getting their attention because you're answering a question or, you know, solving a problem that, that they that they have. All right. Well, this has been amazing. Like, tell me just a little bit more about how you all work with your clients and uh, and what can and if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the place to go is, is our website, designbycosmic.com. Um, we have a bunch of content there from a manifesto that we wrote that kind of talks about the bigger picture point of view uh, and the attention economy and that thread. We also have an insights tab where we have a bunch of um, articles, a lot of podcasts um, like this and others, video content, so that if you do want to kind of put some of these concepts into practice, they do tend to get a little bit more tactical, sometimes are more conceptual. It's a good mix of both. So 
there's a lot of free resources. We, you know, cannot support every organization out there for many different reasons, but we do like to really provide those, you know, free resources to anyone who's interested in digging more deeply. You know, we, uh, we're looking for organizations who believe in this work, who see the value in it, who are resonant with our point of view and who are really at the point where like they want to make a large transformation. Those are clients that are a great fit for us. So if that feels like you, we're always happy to have a conversation and see if there's a way that we can help. Awesome. And we'll put all the links, all your links and stuff in the in the show notes so people can find those. All right. Last question as we wrap up. If we ever wind up at karaoke together, maybe I'm in California, you're you know, in St. Louis and like, hey, what's your go-to karaoke song? I will never sing karaoke, but if I ever do, it's Benny and the Jets. Okay. 100%. <laughs> I'm never going to sing. And if I do, it's Benny. Then that's a great song. It's that, it is a good song. And you know what? I don't hear that a lot at karaoke. So I think that would go over really well. Yeah, it's what kind of more you, of a wedding song. Huh? Yeah. What makes you yeah. sing that song? It's just such a good song. I don't know why it pops into my brain. It's just so catchy. And it's definitely not in my register. I don't even know what my register is. <laughs> So it'd probably be a disaster, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Right. And and here's the thing. You pick a song like that. Everybody sings along. It's like singing around the piano. Right? Yeah. This is, it becomes a Everyone cool knows experience, it. Yeah, right? Exactly. Oh, well, Eric, it was so great to have you on. What a beautiful conversation. Again, it, all his info, email and contact info is in the show notes. If you want to get in touch and definitely visit the website because there are a ton of resources on your website, which I love. I do the same, right? I, information is free and I'm happy to share it. And I'm, I'm glad you are too. All right, everybody. And that's it for this edition of the Influential Nonprofit. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dersh. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, Check out the influentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.